Welcome to Diner Talks with James. Slide into the booth and let's have conversations we never want to end with friends we never want to leave over food we probably shouldn't be eating. My friends, welcome to another episode of Diner Talks with James. I'm James, and I'm super pumped to be here with you all kicking it in the diner. Y'all, I had a fascinating experience in a diner this past week. It was down in Fort Myers, Florida. It was at a place called Biggie's. And uh, I don't know if I've ever seen more Trump memorabilia in an establishment than this place. And everybody in there was wearing Let's Go Brandon shirts. And there was a gentleman who wore a shirt that said, Don't New York my Florida. And, uh, you know, I ate and got out of there, y'all. It is what it is. The food was good, though, and our waitress was incredible. So uh, here we go to a greasy spoon, having a good meal with a fascinating experience. Exactly why I love diners. Uh, And I'm in love with you being here with me today, friends. We got a really dope guest coming out. Her name is Summer Owens. She and I have known each other for, I guess it's got to be three, four years, give or take a pandemic. And uh, she lit up my world when I met her and she's been on my list. I met her through the National Speakers Association and she's just, she and I have just crossed paths in a number of ways. And every time I see her, she's just a light and I'm excited to get to hang out with her in the diner for you to hang out with us as well. Let me tell you about her. She's been featured, not feared, maybe feared by some. We'll get to that. But she's been featured internationally on CNN and other media outlets for her story of extreme resilience. She's an award-winning author and speaker with honors, including the Women of Achievement Heroism Award, Top 40 Under 40. She's also known all over the University of Memphis as just being a damn boss. (laughs) She's had over 15 years of experience of marketing executive, uh, as a marketing executive with companies including the MBA and FedEx. As a CEO and founder of So What and the So What Foundation and certified So What success coach, she inspires people to live a life of no judgment and no excuses. Let's go. In college, she was a professional runner, but not on track and field, folks. Come on. No, she ran to class. She ran to work and she helped run many campus organizations, but mostly she ran after her dreams, which she is cut, shoot me, which she is crushing today. She's also a bargain shopper. I got questions about that. But let's bring her out to the stage right now. Your friend in mind with the hot pink background, Summer Owens. Hey, 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 James. I love it. I love it. What's good? (laughs) Everything is good. Everything is good. Everything. It's all good. It's all good. (laughs) (laughs) love it i love it i love it how's now you're down in memphis right now correct yep i'm in memphis how's memphis Memphis treating you so far memphis is good i've been here now since 1998 (laughs) so it must be all right huh you're doing something right (laughs) (laughs) it is good it's good Mm -hmm. i'm happy to be here and um yeah, just all the things that you said. It's been a good place for me. It's been a really good place for me. I love it. That's amazing. Memphis is a cool town. It is a misunderstood town. Uh, Memphis is one of those cities that has taken a while to catch up with the times. 
and uh, segregation was such a huge problem in Memphis, longer than many cities of its size, actually. Um, and it's still still impacted today. Um, it's a very divided city. Um, and that causes a lot of people to misunderstand it and not appreciate it. But yeah. I freaking love Memphis. Yeah. Uh, and not just because of Beale Street and uh, and not just uh, not just because of some of those things. I don't I don't care about the ducks in the hotel. Um, <laughs> right. Like, good for that. Them. They're adorable, but no, no. <laughs> I love that Memphis is trying. Um, I love the barbecue in Memphis. I've had some outrageous fried chicken in Memphis, uh, and I've, I've stopped by the Lorraine Motel um, and the incredible, powerful Civil Rights Museum that is there. Uh, it's just, it is just an incredible city, and I, I love it down there. I'm impressed, James. You know a lot about this. <laughs> 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 I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I got a story. Everything you just said, I, I got a story. <laughs> Even the ducks. Even the ducks. Those damn ducks in the Peabody Hotel. Uh, <laughs> now, that brings me to one of our sponsors of our podcast, the Peabody Hotel in Memphis. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, Summer, so where where are you born and raised? Where 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 where'd you come up? I'm born and raised uh, just down the street from Memphis, okay. between Nashville and Memphis in Jackson, Tennessee. Jackson, Tennessee. Jackson, okay. Tennessee. But I moved to Memphis in 1997 mm-hmm. uh, for college to attend the, the University of Memphis, which everybody who knows me knows I am a super alum of the super University alum. of Memphis. <laughs> 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 like a super fan, super alum yeah. of the University of Memphis. And so, yeah, I started my career here after I graduated and I've been here ever since. I love it. I love it. You know, uh, I've, I've spoken to the University of Memphis a few times, and whenever I get on stage, I say it's an honor to be here, but y'all root for the wrong Tigers. Uh, as a Clemson Tiger alum myself. <laughs> oh, boy. I am definitely a super University of Memphis Tiger. <laughs> uh, yes, I love yes, it. You know, yeah. So University of Memphis is my my thing because I've been really, really blessed, James. Mm-hmm. Um, University of Memphis really embraced me as a teen mom. Like I will get into the story, but I was a teen mom at the University of Memphis and I was able to to really push through and to graduate because that's you, we both speak to college audiences all mm-hmm. the time. And a big challenge with educators, period, is just graduation, college completion. Right. And so I'm really, really grateful for the support I got from the University of Memphis so that I could graduate and and do the things that I've been able to do. So I was Miss University of Memphis when I graduated. So I'm like, yeah, yeah. And I've done other stuff for Memphis. And so it's only one tiger that matters. Mm-hmm. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> one more shot. Uh, I respect it. I respect your passion. Get that in there. <laughs> <laughs> Snuck it in there. Uh, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, so, you know, Summer, this show is called Diner Talks with James. Um, and I think that some of the best conversations in our lives happen late at night over the food we shouldn't be eating with the friends we never want to leave. <laughs> and so I'm wondering, you know, I know I know you're a little more grown now, but maybe maybe you still have a late night eating pleasure. So what's what's your guilty pleasure late at night or, or what was it? What it is now is is chocolate and wine <laughs> so it's not really a food food <laughs> but dark chocolate let me specify mm-hmm. dark chocolate so the diner food i do like the diner food but 
during the day, not so much at night. Um, and I don't, I'm not a big snacker, just being honest. I'm not really mm-hmm. a big snacker. I'm not even a big eater, to be honest. Um, but I love dark chocolate and I love a good glass of wine. Um, and the older I get mm-hmm. and I'm getting up there, the more I like <laughs> a good glass of wine. <laughs> <laughs> now with the dark chocolate, typically you pair red with that. Are you going red wine with that? You do it right? Cabernet. Cabernet. Cabernet, Cabernet oh. all day. Yep. I like the Cabernet all day. Put it on her tombstone. Um, <laughs> summer Cabernet all day, Owens. I love it. <laughs> it has a nice ring to it. It does. It does, actually. Uh, <laughs> that's amazing. Now, as as you've also uh, gotten older, do you have you started to appreciate wines as well? Like you now, are you are you turning into a small yay? Are you like, well, I like Cabernets from Napa Valley or from Australia? Like, are you into that? Or it's like, as long as it's red in a Cabernet, let's go. Yeah, I'm not bougie like that. Okay, uh, good. Good, good. <laughs> now, I have had the pleasure and the privilege to go to Napa Valley and to try different wines. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do, I can taste, you know, appreciate a good wine, yeah, yeah. but it doesn't, you know, and I can, uh, I can recognize a cheap wine, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, but somewhere in the middle, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's great. That's great. Uh, I appreciate it. I don't know much yeah. about wines. That's what I was about um, to ask. So are you a wine drinker? Yeah, no, I, I know enough. I know enough to have a conversation and make it sound like I know about wine, but that's about <laughs> where it stops. Right. Which, which is dangerous, right? Someone who knows a little bit, but talks a lot is kind of the worst person on earth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe guilty of that too but uh that's fine, that's fine. well it's, you know i host my own podcast so here we go um so and now when it comes to chocolate you said dark chocolate are you uh are you a brand is there a brand of chocolate that you love like are you dove dark chocolates all day or are you uh i don't know something else some uh, lint i'm not what do you do i'm not that bougie on that either okay um but it's dark chocolate. I don't like milk chocolate. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I could eat it if there's nothing else there. <laughs> um, I mean, because it's so funny because a lot of people don't like dark chocolate. Right. Um, a but lot of people I like- are wrong, Summer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like white chocolate, except James. Thank you. Um, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I love dark chocolate. There's a guy here in Memphis who actually is he's getting really famous and I'm really, really proud of him. I actually just interviewed him on my podcast. Oh, cool. Um, his name is Philip Ashley and he has a brand called Philip Ashley Chocolates. Mm-hmm. And he makes really, really unique chocolates. You have to look him up. Um, and so I really like his chocolates. They're not everyday chocolates though, because they are pretty pricey. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um but everyday uh, chocolates. What'd you say? Payday chocolates. Yeah. <laughs> like save up for the chocolate. Um, but he is, yeah, he, so I like his chocolates. I do like his chocolates too. Because like I said, they're really, really, really creative, unique combinations that he does. Yeah. Uh, but Hers, good old Hershey's dark chocolate is is good. I'm good with whatever. I love it. It's good. Yep, yep, yep. That's awesome. I am a, I'm a fellow chocoholic. Uh, dark chocolate is my favorite, but I will eat all of the other chocolates as well because chocolate um <laughs> so any chocolate is better than no chocolate as far as i'm concerned uh, i love it i love it, I love it. Uh, but i was checking philip ashley you said his name was mm-hmm. i'll check it out philip ashley chocolates okay sweet <clears throat> that's yep, awesome yep. that's yep. great and well, I, like i said he's on my podcast i just interview him and i'm sharing his story yeah okay sweet sweet tell, tell everybody what's the name of your podcast 
It's so what success stories with summer. So what success stories with summer? Say that 15 times. (laughs) (laughs) It is pretty cool. It's just like, it's not just like this, of course, but it's real casual conversations with Mm -hmm. people just sharing their stories. I love it. I love it. Resilience. Resilience is what I try to focus on. Okay. Amazing. Well, I look forward to being on it. And uh, (laughs) uh, that's awesome. That's awesome. The, uh, uh, you know, the idea that you grew up in Jackson in Jackson, uh, Tennessee, um, and now you're living in Memphis. uh, But some some things happened in between that. Tell me, tell me about real young Summer Owens. Like, you know, when, when you were in elementary school, what, what did you want to be when you grew up, Summer? What was grow? What was your childhood like? Mm. I I don't even remember necessarily thinking about what I wanted to be, but because in my childhood, and I, I share this in my presentations too, I had a nervous condition where, and it's hard to believe now, but I used to twist my hair and pull it out okay. from the root um, and suck my thumb. And so my mom ended up cutting all my hair off. And so mm-hmm. I had really low haircut. Um, and buck teeth, big, so my teeth are still big, <laughs> but big buck teeth. And so I got bullied a lot mm. and, um, and I was really insecure, um, shy. And I, and I say I was shy, but I don't think I was really shy. I just think I didn't like how I looked mm. and I didn't want people to see me. And so that made me shy. Um, and so I just remember if I had to say I had wanted to be something, I just wanted to be confident. Mm. <laughs> not a career. I can think of a, can't think right now of a career that I wanted. Um, and again, I didn't have a whole lot of exposure to mm. know what a lot of those options were. Um, but that lack of self-esteem put me in a situation where um, I got pregnant when I was 15 by um, someone who told me I was pretty. And I was like, really? And so I ended up letting him touch me a little and he took it further and I got pregnant. Um, by somebody I didn't really know uh, when I was 15, of course. And that was in my childhood. <laughs> so not, I was a teenager, but I was, you know, still a child. And so um, I had to grow up real fast. Um, and I did. I grew up and raised my son. I pushed through. And that's why I speak on resilience now mm-hmm. is because that was a pretty tough time in my life. But I did graduate from high school, number eight in my class. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> and I was voted most likely to succeed. Um, wow. And I was really grateful that my classmates recognized that in me. It's pretty cool, too. I'll say this. Just last night, I had a conversation, a meeting with my class. We're planning my 25th <laughs> class reunion, which is weird because I'm just 30. Right. Yeah, but, yeah it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> so weird. I don't know how that works, but... Yeah. Um, I was talking to my class last night and um, and just really grateful. Of course, there were people who judged me and looked down on me. Mm-hmm. But overall, my class embraced me. And like I said, I was voted most likely to, su- to succeed. And I graduated number eight in my class and got a scholarship to college. And um, that changed my life. And uh, like, like I said before, because we speak to students um, and mostly college students, um, we both know the power of that time in your life. Yeah. Um, and the trajectory can put you on either way, good or bad, based on those choices. And so I'm really grateful um, that after that pretty traumatic experience in my life, I was able to to push through and to get to college and get through college. 
Yeah, with flying colors um, as well. That's incredible. Uh, with your permission, Summer, can I ask you some more questions about your, your earlier childhood? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you mentioned that you were getting bullied and you had this nervous tick where you were pulling out chunks of your hair. Was that something that was, uh, is, is that something that was, uh, was it a genetic disorder or was it like a true, just like true anxiety to the max where that's just what you would do? It's or awesome. was it... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, please. Yeah, it's called, I had, and I learned later, you know, when I got grown, trichotillomania. Okay. <laughs> it's a off real, the tongue. <laughs> it's a, I know, right? Like, I'm like, I probably even said it wrong. Um, um, no, it's not genetic to my knowledge. Somebody might chime in and be like, yes, it is. Uh, but to my knowledge, it's not genetic. Nobody else in my family had uh, that experience. Um, and my mom, basically called it a nervous conditions. Like that's how I dealt with stress, anxiety. Cause this was when I was like three, four wow, years old, really, really young um, up until I was five. And I sucked my thumb, I think probably until like third grade. Mm-hmm. Um, but I stopped pulling out my hair, but I would, yeah, I would pull it out and ball it up and stick it in my ear. It's weird. My mom said she would find it behind my bed yeah. at night. And I mean, literally from the root, um, which was why I was like, how in the world? I can't imagine doing that now. But again, <laughs> it was, and it just kind of went away. It mm-hmm. went away on its own, maybe partially because I'm like, I don't like looking like this. Right, sure, yeah. <laughs> and maybe eventually it started hurting. Um, I don't know. I know sucking my thumb became a decision where I had to really, really work. Um, I put a Band-Aid on my thumb and started feeling nasty. I keep sucking on a Band-Aid. Yeah. Uh, um, and that's how I stopped myself from sucking my thumb, which I do think that was genetic because my son sucked his thumb. Um, mm-hmm. And then my granddaughter even did uh, for a little bit. But um, yeah, that condition, I, I don't know. But I know since I wrote it, because I wrote about it in my book, even. Yeah. I've had several people to to message me and tell me that either they or their children have the same experience, that same condition. Wow, that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. I also was a serious thumb sucker. Um, I sucked my thumb so much that I uh, a, a ch- a changed the shape of the inside of my mouth, right? And when it came time to get braces, before I was able to get braces on, I had to get one of those jaw wideners. Um, so it like spread it out so then I could get my teeth back aligned. So uh, yeah, I changed the shape of my hard palate because I sucked my thumb for so long. Me too, James. And from mm-hmm. a V, it's supposed to be a U yep. and you made it a V. I'm, I did the same yep. thing. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I had to have braces. I didn't have to have a jaw widener, but um, I had to have teeth, several teeth pulled um, so that my so that the orthodontist could reshape my mouth. And after yeah. I got my braces off, I almost didn't recognize myself because my face looked different. Yeah, right. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah I, had, I had like a cathedral ceiling in there. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and this was in my 30s. I was in my 30s when I got braces. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, for yeah. sure. So you really, you really, because at that point, you're self-aware of how you look also. So you can definitely see some of those changes. Yeah. Well, I was aware. <laughs> <laughs> I was aware, but I was a, a struggling single mom. Yeah. And for, you know, for a lot of those years. And then, um, like I told you, my son sucked his thumb too. So he did the same thing to his mouth. And I prioritized, that's what moms do. I prioritized him getting braces over me getting braces. Yeah. Um, so I did his first. Once I got, so I was working at FedEx and I'm making a little bit more money and had good dental insurance. Um, I got his first and then I got mine. And like I said, and honestly, James, it was, um, 
I was in, I started speaking and I just started speaking and I'm like, okay, now I'm, I may be seen a little bit more. So let me go on and get this together. (laughs) (laughs) Get these teeth right. (laughs) Let me go ahead and get this. I mean, and it's weird too, because I have really come to, it wasn't horrible, but it was just part of, I accepted like, that's how I look, you know, Yep that, you know, my teeth kind of stick out and people, I got compliments on my smile. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember that. And looking back on it, I'm like, why are y'all complimenting me? My teeth are off. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, but, yeah. I'm, but I'm glad I got those braces mm-hmm. though now, because I, as you can see now, it's hard to keep my mouth shut. So. <laughs> I mean, you, yeah. I mean, you have an award-winning smile at this point. I, I didn't know you back then, but I can compliment you right now. Um, <laughs> uh, if it's, if it's not, your smile it's your personality that lights up the room first i don't know right. wanna, you know uh, but yeah <clears throat> the uh the idea that you were bullied when you were younger was a lot of that bullying was that from uh this was pre beginning this was pre getting pregnant was it just because of the way you look you had buck teeth and your hair was super short is that why you were typically bullied yeah, you know, so I wrote about this in the book, too. So in the first chapter, and I have curriculum that goes in my book. I don't know if I mentioned that to you. We can talk about that some more, but I have workbooks. <laughs> but I focus on that in the first chapter. So what people said about me, it was about my hair. Oh, you're a boy. And mm-hmm. um, and I'm like, what? And it had me thinking, like, do I really look like a boy? And my, uh, and my teeth. But, when, and this is, a, you know, when you think about bullying, where it comes from, and what I really like to talk about, too, for people who are bullied, <clears throat> I had to understand that a lot of times the bullying had nothing to do with me. It was mm-hmm. about the the people. And and even I, and now it's so cool, too, because some of those same people who bullied me are my friends mm-hmm. or at least people that I know or acquaintances now, Facebook friends and stuff like that. I've had a lot of them come back um, and apologize and to tell me that. The opposite of what I thought. So I thought I looked ugly. I thought something was wrong with me. And the reality was they were just trying to bring me down because they did not think I was ugly. Some of them, that girl, some of them like, you were so cute. And and you just, we just thought you were too cute. And you probably thought you were cute. And we want, we didn't want you to feel like you were cute. Yeah. Childish stuff, right? But the yeah, reality yeah. is a lot of times that is a source of bullying. It's a, It's the other person's low self-esteem or issues that they're dealing with and they want somebody else to feel down to mm-hmm. or be brought down to their level. And so it was really more that when I look back on it, because even with, um, and I have to show you sometimes, and I share in my presentations, when I look at my pictures where my hair was low, I'm like, I, I was cute. <laughs> I was like, I do not look like a boy. I do not look like a boy. Um, and so it's just my own realization of that. And that's why I like talking to young people right now who are getting yeah. bullied because they don't have name brand clothes and all the other stuff that people, mm-hmm. people bully them about. It's about loving yourself and embracing yourself and, and saying this right here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> saying so what? Yeah, for sure. So yeah. 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 It's funny. I think we as speakers, uh, a lot of times when speakers don't know who they want to talk to, uh, I encourage them to go back to what were some of those moments where you changed, like some of your breakthrough moments, right? And so, you know, I talk about leadership and where I really learned about leadership was in college. And so I like to talk to college student leaders about that because I know that moment transformed me. Um, and I would love to help more people have that be a pivotal moment for them. Um, and so hearing you talk about how you like to go back and talk to these individuals that are being bullied as, as youth 
um, for not wearing name brand clothes or looking a little different, acting a little different or whatnot. And just, just, literally trying to make it right a lot of middle school and high school is about survival um both uh, socially um and depending on your community physically mm-hmm. um and uh and so yeah i think it's i think it's powerful to hear uh, to hear why you do you work with those people yeah and, and you know in general i'd like to speak on resilience because it's about just getting through right yeah. so at whatever point so as a as a young child but the real pivotal moment and i like how you said that about what changed your life so real pivotal moment for me is at 15 and i became a mom um and i had to graduate high school and you know teenage years are hard for probably most people yeah <laughs> and so add a kid to the mix um and so i i like to talk about getting through. And then I was a single mom. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I'm an adult and I'm in a career. I'm a young professional, all the things that most of us end up doing. But I had a child in that. So that's why I like talking about how do you get through when life is hard at whatever point. And I also like talking about leadership too, James, because um, I did get a scholarship, a leadership scholarship. Um, from high school to college, I came on a, on a, on a leadership scholarship and, mm-hmm. um, and I was a leader in high school, even when I was a mom, I was the editor mm-hmm. of the yearbook staff and, um, class presidents and, you know, all the stuff, cool stuff, but that was just kind of who I was that I needed to be involved in stuff and the same thing in, in college, even though it was hard. And so I like talking about leadership too, and, and and the lessons that I got from being a parent mm-hmm. at an early age on how I applied that to being a leader yeah. um, throughout my life. So I'm with you on that. I love it. Yeah. I mean, getting pregnant at 15, <clears throat> talk about uh, talk about changing a childhood, <laughs> right? Uh, and We're ending a childhood. <laughs> yes, ending a childhood. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'll, I'll let you say because you went through it. I don't want to name it. Um, but yeah, ending a childhood, uh, which is it's crazy to hear, right? For most people, um, as they think about childhood, the fact that happened to you at 15. And so you had mentioned that, you know, this gentleman was one of the first people to ever tell you that you were pretty. Um, and then he took things too far. It sounds like there was, uh, uh, some unwanted, uh, actions that happened there. Um, and then, and then you're faced with this moment of being pregnant. How was that moment? Was it, was it what you were you like automatic like boom okay i'm gonna be a mom or you know like there's decisions to be made and there's you know uh support to be found and there's right there's a lot of internal work what you know, tell me if you're if you're willing to tell me about that moment at 15 where you had to you know make some of these decisions yeah so it was super scary that's the feeling mm. <laughs> i was I, well that's one feeling it was like a roller coaster <laughs> like yeah. all kinds of feelings um so and and I and I I, I go really deep into it on, in my book because I wrote my memoir, which is what changed my life and made me a speaker. Um, is because I did share all the specific details and around it and the choices. Because yes, there are choices to be made. And at that time, um, I was I was totally against abortion, mm-hmm. and I was even against adoption um, until it happened to me. <laughs> And then I was in that place of I'm 15, dad, I don't know him and I have my whole life ahead of me. I don't know. I can't do this. I can't do this. And so mm-hmm. it was a very, very tough time for me. But um, 
my my mom essentially made the decision for me. <laughs> and uh, after she found out, because I hid it from her, yeah. um, like I said, some, look, this is a plug, shameless plug for the book. Read the book to get the full <laughs> details. Because um, it was a journey. It's not a, you know, it's not a quick story. Right, but yeah. um, it was definitely a journey. But then the, the decision was made and um, and it was a tough decision. And I was not happy. I was just scared. And I cried for the majority of my pregnancy. And I was because I was scared and I didn't know what I was going to do. And I mean, I was a kid. I was a teenager. And Mm -hmm. um, but I I, and even the beginning of his life after I gave birth, I was I cried quite a bit and I was feeling sorry for myself. And then the moment came when I'm like, okay, (laughs) I can keep crying and feeling sorry for myself. And, you know, there were still other people who were feeling sorry for me too. But then I realized uh, how far in life am I going to get with other people's pity or my pity? Nowhere. And I'm like, okay, Summer, shake this shit off and yeah. and and figure out what you're going to do with your life. And that's when I kicked it in the gear. I went back to school because I set out, you know, six weeks. <laughs> um, went back to school and I, I played catch up. I had some teachers who really did care about me and saw that I was working hard. They let me stay after school and make up my work. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's how I was able to end up graduating like the top of my class. Um Yeah, it was a blessing. But that was because I made a decision that I was done feeling sorry for myself and I wanted to create a good life for myself and for my son. Mm -hmm. Um, It was it was hard. And and, and when I say it was hard, I mean, up until he was grown and it's still not easy today. Um, It's still not being a parent is a it really is a lifelong thing. Um, But. I just made a decision that I'm going to make it. I'm going to be okay. But yeah, I cried and I heard and I feared. Yeah. Um, I felt a lot of guilt, a lot of, a lot of things. And then you mentioned support. So um, I'm blessed because I do have my mom um, and I had my grandmother. I ended up moving in with my grandmother. That's another story in the book. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, I call them silent cheerleaders, James, mm. because they weren't the ones like, Summer, you got this. You can do this. And then, uh, they weren't. It was more like, Summer, you got a doctor's appointment. Uh, I'll take you to your doctor's appointment. Yeah, you can drive my car. And that was when I was 15. I wasn't even supposed to be driving, by the way. I didn't even have a license. <laughs> so they were there, you know, but I didn't have a whole lot of people like, come on, come like I am who I am now to other teen moms. Like, come on, this is what we got to do. Let's figure this out. Let's make this work. I kind of had to figure a lot of that stuff out. Um, But I'm grateful to, um, uh, for the people who were in my life, I was volunteering at my mom's job when I found out I was pregnant in the summers, I was volunteering and the volunteer coordinator, her name is Suzanne Denton. Got to give her a shout out. Um, She is still my friend today. She is uh, almost 80 years old. And she is still a good friend of mine, but she sent me a card every month that I was pregnant. Just encouraging me. Yeah. She sent, I got a card in the mail every month. And then after my son was born, she sent him a savings bond until he was 18. Every birthday, she sent him a savings bond every birthday. And so, um, and I'm giving that back to her, loving on her back because James, um, she, she lost a son in a car accident probably Mm. about 15 years ago. Wow. And then this past Thanksgiving, she lost another son. Oh no! Um, to um, uh, cancer, 
And um, she has six children. She she's lost two children, and so she lost this last son. And I'm so now I send her a card every yeah. month now. Mm-hmm. But um, she and I, and I remind her. My like I said, my son is twenty uh, six, twenty seven. <laughs> Math's hard, Summer. Math is hard. <laughs> so many years ago, but it meant so much to me at the hardest time in my life. Yeah. Um, so that support system. And then I came to college. I moved to Memphis, like as I moved out of Jackson to go to college and um, I was a student leader. So I got involved and I had to give a shout out to Tammy Hedges, who is now the vice president. She's a vice president of marketing and external affairs at the University of Memphis. But when I was in school, she was the director of the Student Activities Council, mm-hmm. SAC. And I was in SAC. And she was a supporter for me. She, um, when my son was too young to go to daycare, her secretary would watch him sometimes. She would wow. have her secretary watch him. She would keep him when I, on, when I had tests. She was like, Summer, you need to study tonight. He could spend the night with me. He would spend the night with her. Wow. She would take him out to eat at restaurants, which is a big deal because I couldn't afford to take him out yeah. to eat. And she would buy him toys. I couldn't do that. Um, and so I created a support system at the University of Memphis. And it was because people saw me working. They saw me trying and a few people mm-hmm. loved on me enough to really help me. Um, and that's part of why that's the only tigers that matter. <laughs> <laughs> Get back to that. <laughs> I can't even defend it. I can't even defend it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that that is uh, it's beautiful to hear how your community rose up for you. Um, you know, whether it's uh, your mom, your grandma, uh, <clears throat> the volunteer coordinator, uh, and and then uh, Tammy Tammy Hudgens, you said her name was Hedges Hedges uh-huh. Hedges. Excuse me, Tammy Hedges, um, and her and her secretary, uh, and and to be able uh, to be able to allow you to continue to chase your goal of creating a better life for yourself and for your son, right? Seeing that in you. You know, being a teen mom, I I don't have that experience, believe it or not. Um, (laughs) But being being a teen mom, uh, I I really also want to appreciate that, you know, you leaned into the fear and you told us about the fear because I can only imagine uh, that's that's not what you pictured for your life. Right. And you had mentioned that you ne- you weren't necessarily dreaming about being an X or a Y or a doctor or a lawyer or anything at that point in time. But no matter what, you weren't dreaming about being a mom at 15 um, and, uh, and 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 life handed you a deck of cards. And you and fortunately, you had some people that were able to help you play it uh, in a way that has been extremely impressive. Uh, and uh, and just because I can. I can easily see here and look at the swath of your life um, and I can read your book, uh, Life After Birth, a memoir of survival and success as a teenage mother. And I can read all that, but I have no idea what was actually going on in your head um, and what it uh, having to find that balance. Because, you know, being a parent summer and this is something I think you, you just touched on and it's something that's been hard for me to grapple as a new dad um, is that it's about finding the balance of good, selfish and bad, selfish, mm-hmm. like, you know, good, selfish is you know, a lot of parents think they, they need to take everything and just do everything for their children. And it's all about their children and they're no longer allowed to have hobbies or time for themselves or joy or goals. Um, and that's, that's not necessarily the definition of being a good parent. 
Um, <clears throat> and yes. I think it's part of it, but I think another huge part of it is that good selfishness where it's like, I need to, I need to make sure I'm good. I need to make sure I'm happy. I need to make sure I'm chasing some of my dreams still, because that leading by example is also just as important, um, as, as some of these other things as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Yeah. Hearing you talk about that uh, in a very different way that I'm currently experiencing, but at the same time, coming back to that same you know core message of you, what you want to do when your dreams matter as well, not at the expense of your children, um, but for the benefit of everybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, and at that time, James, like for me, it's, um, yeah, it was they they it's not one or the other. For me, it was absolutely if I don't do this selfish, go to school and even be a leader, like mm -hmm. those things were that some people, you know, might have seen those as optional. For me, it was it was part of my journey and being better, a better person was taking on these leadership roles um in college and even throughout my career. And it was one, to be an example, but then two like those are the things that are going to help me to be able to provide financially for a better life for us um, by me being able to say I accomplished these things. So it was, yeah, sort of selfish, but it was like still it's ultimately for for that child. Yeah, it's still for that child. Um, but then, too, like now that I have been an empty nester for over a decade, isn't that crazy, crazy. Um, to, to think you have to think about yourself and do things for yourself because the time will come when the child is not there in your house, you know, and, and you need to know who you are and have an identity outside of being the parent. And I say that because I, I know lots of people who are, are all in for their kids, which you should be to a good extent, but then you're nothing without them. And um, you got to find the right balance in that too. Yes. Yeah. Beautifully put. Beautifully put. Uh, you know, you mentioned that you're a super alum at Memphis, right? You go, you went all the way through your MBA um, over there. Kathy. No, no. Actually, the MBA came from um, Belhaven University, which oh, I, I like Belhaven too. Memphis, but I hope you're not listening. Memphis, I hope you're not listening right now. <laughs> they know that secret. They know that I stepped away. I just have to see what it's like. You know, like, yeah. like I tell young people too, that they're all in love and dating in high school and college and stuff. I'm like, date some other people. <laughs> uh -huh. Just to make sure that's what you really, really want. So it's kind of the same thing. But uh, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I, um, I did get my MBA from Belhaven University. They have a satellite camp campus here in Memphis. And so when I was working for the Memphis Grizzlies, um, I got my MBA over there. But. Okay. But I am. But Memphis is has my heart. Has my heart. <laughs> okay, you good. You good. You're safe here. Uh, <laughs> so, so you got to do some pretty incredible things, right? You said you work for the you work for the Grizzlies. You work for FedEx. Uh, you had you you put your leadership skills uh, into into practice with some of these incredible organizations. How did that come about? Well, when I um when I graduated from the University of Memphis. Uh, I was trying to find a job <laughs> and I was shocked. I was shocked at the time to see how hard it was for mm -hmm. me. Um, and I say for, uh, the reason why I was surprised, James, is because I worked really, really hard when I was in school. I I was I graduated magna cum laude. 
Yeah. I, I was a student leader. So I had all that stuff under my belt, you know, I had some good experience there. I was Miss University of Memphis and um, I had done an internship for three years. So I was like, oh, yeah, no brainer. I'm going to find a job. But I was surprised <laughs> that it was it was actually pretty difficult for me to even get an interview. And that was hard. I talked about that in the book, too. Um, and I talk about you know, the challenge of, of that. But then it was at that time. And I, I'm a woman of faith, James. And so I see how God works in my life. Um, sometimes it's afterwards <laughs> that I see it. But um, I ended up getting a job. I'll leave short of that story, the part, the journey to that uh, out. But I, the Memphis Grizzlies announced that they were moving to Memphis, Tennessee mm-hmm. from Vancouver, Canada that same year after I graduated. And I remember saying, man, it would be really cool to work in promotions is what I said for the Memphis Grizzlies. Like, it'd be cool. And so they came and they had these mass interviews for a sales position. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I just want to get my foot in the door. Um, I hated sales. I had done an internship in marketing for Hilton Hotels Corporation for the three years that I was there. They actually had offered me a sales position. I'm like, I don't want to do sales. But then here come the Grizzlies and they're doing they're offering these doing these interviews. I was like, I'm going to get on the foot door. And um, it was really, really a blessing because thousands of people applied. Um, And I think they were feeling like 30, 30 temporary sales sales positions to really sell these uh, season tickets. And I got it. I got one of them as my first job out of college. And um, and I worked hard trying to prove myself because they were temporary, only four month positions. Oh, wow. Only okay. four months. And so in that four months, I'm like, I got to earn a job, a real job. Um, and I did. And I got hired as a marketing coordinator. And um, then a few months later, I became, I mean, I got hired as a marketing assistant. And that quick story was the marketing marketing director needed a, an assistant, administrative assistant, and she was hiring for a marketing coordinator. I applied for the marketing um, marketing coordinator position. And she said she didn't feel like I was qualified to be the marketing coordinator. And she felt like I was overqualified to be the assistant. So she made me in a marketing assistant. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, well, whatever. Whatever. Just give me a job. Hire me. <laughs> Just give me a job. And she did. And a few months later, she made me marketing coordinator anyway. Mm-hmm. And then we built FedEx Form Arena. I love this history. We built FedEx Form Arena, uh, which was part of the stipulation. I don't know how much you probably know because you know so much about Memphis. That's part of the stipulation of us getting the team here in Memphis mm-hmm. was building a new arena. So then we built the arena and they needed a marketing manager. And who was in place? How you I doing? Got, I got it. <laughs> I became the marketing manager. So I was the first marketing manager for FedEx Form Arena. Wow. And I was a marketing manager for the arena, which was the events, the concerts, the dirt shows, the ice shows, all of that, mm-hmm. and the basketball team. Um, and so, yeah, it was a blessing. So I got that position and I was able to grow. I was able to hire people. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking back, I'm like, I was like 22, 24. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> like I was super young, but it was so awesome. Um, the experiences I was able to get at a very, very special time. I um I have some cool stuff here too. I don't know if you can see that. This was from the very first game ever played here. Wow, that's awesome. Says, Thanks for making history. So this is yeah, from the very first game. That's such a cool ticket too. 
2001, November 1st, 2001. Mm-hmm. And it's got my name on it and everything. So it was, it was cool. Um, that's all. I see the Grizzlies guy, the, uh, the basketball behind you also. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so from the team. So that was when I, when I left the Grizzlies, I got my NBA and I, um, I was like, okay, it's time to work a little bit less. Cause I was working my butt off like <laughs> games, events, you know, all that. And I was a single mom. And so I got my NBA during that time. And I'm like, okay, it's time for me to go make some money. <laughs> and so they gave me that basketball. I don't know if you can see that. Um, that was a FedEx Form Arena, a, um, a, rin, a, a print of FedEx Form Arena, and that was signed by the team. Oh, that's awesome. The staff and then the basketball signed by the team. So this is my shelf of cool stuff. I got a lot. You're right. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> stuff that you earned, though, uh, from 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 making from leaving your mark, leaving a legacy. Uh, that's incredible. Uh, I love you. that summer. That's so cool. Uh, and summer, we fast forward this incredible experience with the Grizzlies and getting to get them to start uh, from the bottom. Now they're here. Um, and, yes. uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. I, never, I never made it to a Grizzlies game. I got to do that next time I'm in town. Um, but yes. uh, but yeah, so the, uh, you know, we get to work with the Grizzlies and we get our NBA. We have this short stint at this uh, franchise company and then we're, then we're with FedEx. And at some point in time, you say, yeah, but I got a story to tell and I got a hell of a story. Right. And, uh, and you write your book and then you start to get up on stages. How did the transition of being a speaker start? So, yeah, I, first of all, let me say this. I never, ever, ever saw that for my life. I never saw an entrepreneur period mm. uh, for my life. So I got to FedEx and I'm like, this is where I'm going to retire. This is it. <laughs> This is it. I mean, and and, you know, and a lot of people here at Memphis, if they do work for FedEx, say that because it is a great company and um, the pay is good. That's always important, right? Mm -hmm. The culture is great. That's really important. But then also FedEx is so big that you can work for that company, have several careers. So even in the time that I was at FedEx, I had several different managers and I worked in small business marketing. I worked in advertising as well. And um and I could have gone to other areas of marketing, even just in marketing, could have, could have definitely had a full career being at one company. But I um, was going through another so what uh, time in my life. I was going through a divorce. I had made the decision and I got married um, and, and it was not good. It was not right. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a very, very hard time in my life. And um that's when I, I moved out with my son, single mom again, because I was only in that situation for about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And um, I was and I was hurting <laughs> again. Mm-hmm. And so two things. One, I was hurting. I was dealing with that. And then also my son became a teenager and that became um, more challenging. And um, I was able to see past myself and I see I was able to see that. I could speak to people and young people, I was thinking, especially girls, and and they were listening to me when they weren't listening to their parents. And at the same time, I could see my son needing what I was giving to other people. So he needed a man to talk to him that wasn't his parent. So I said, let me do that. So I just started talking to to young people, especially. And then I started writing because writing, I've always liked writing. 
Um, and so I started writing, which was therapeutic for me at that time while I was hurting. Yeah. And um, and I said, I, I didn't feel like, oh, I have this powerful story. I didn't, you know, you said that I didn't feel like that. I just felt like I need to write for me to feel better. And then at the time when I was writing though, I was able to see past myself. I'm like, oh, I was a teen mom, but so many teen moms are not where I am. Because mm-hmm. I you know, like I, I had owned a house before I was living in an apartment then it was because I had you know moved out from my husband, but I had owned a house. I had a career, I had my vehicle, you know, I was self-sufficient. And so I said, um, what is the disconnect? Like why? Why is that the case? And I said, I, now I need to tell my story. I'm going to write my story. So while it feels good for me to just be writing anyway, I'm going to write my story because I want some teen moms to see that I grew up relatively poor, <laughs> mm-hmm. definitely lower middle class. And I didn't, I had my father in my life, but he wasn't really there. Um, I had challenges too, right? but I made it through and this is how I did it. And I felt like it was important for me to go all the way back and share the full story. And so I wrote the, I just wrote my book and my hope was that some teen moms would see it and see I can make it too. Statistically, um, I think, and then statistics might've changed since I last did the research, but only about a third graduate from high school. Yeah. And I'm like, what? Because remember, yeah. I graduated number eight. I was voted most likely to succeed. I was like, you don't have to do all that, but you can graduate. I have no doubt that you can graduate. And then um, only about 3% complete college. And I'm like, what? <laughs> That's crazy. Because yeah. again, right. yeah. I, well, I was Miss University of Memphis. I graduated magna cum laude. I'm like, no. You can. I don't care who you are or what your situation is. You can graduate from high school. You can graduate from college or some other post-secondary opportunity. And so that's why I wrote the book. But then the book took off. Mm-hmm. And so many other people started reading it that were not teen moms. Teen moms were. But then other educators and parents and men were reading saying, now I understand single moms more. Or I now I understand my daughter more. Yeah. And um, it just became something else. And people started asking me to speak. And I was shy, like I said, when I was younger, I thought. But then I got fired up, though, when people would ask me if I would come and talk. And people would line up to talk to me afterwards. And I'm like, what is this? And then I knew I had to leave FedEx and and spend the time while I feel younger and look a little bit younger. And people can, you know, young people can, I felt like, receive me better. Mm -hmm. I got to get out there and get this in front of them as much as I possibly can. And and I felt like, you know, and I and no, I still feel like help them make some better choices before um, they end up in a situation that's really, really hard to get out of. Or if they're already in that situation to show them that they can still be okay. Mm-hmm. And how. Yeah. That's how I became a speaker. <laughs> that's, it, that's it. Just that. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Summer, that is incredible. And, you know, you list those statistics and I, as, as you were telling me your story earlier, I was like, this doesn't feel like the normal, right? Like your ability to have that kind of support system around you and your drive to still complete what you did and conquer what you conquered, uh, all while being uh, a wonderful mother is, uh, it's a lot, 
uh, and it it is uh, it's it's not it's not your average teen mom's story, and uh, and the statistics, as you learned, showed you that, uh, and it is it's powerful to hear you talk about what's possible. Now, not everybody you have to have a, a number of things lined up, uh, and you have to have some of those folks that you had. Then not everybody has that community around them like you did, um, and uh, and and so, uh, but. I love how you have turned your uh, your story into a a place to help others feel seen, uh, feel heard, and the fact that you have men reading it and learning about single mothers and uh, learning about uh, women in general that is powerful. That you have created this opportunity to open eyes um, and open eyes to possibility or open eyes to just a learning experience, whatever it may be for whoever a reader is or, or now a listener is. It's really beautiful, Summer. Uh, and it's really, it's cool to watch. Uh, and the way that, I mean, you're such a dynamic speaker as well. And and so you're, you're great at what you do. Uh, so I'm glad you punched that shyness in the face or at least, or at least punched it in the face for your ability to stand on stage for that hour, whatever it is. Um, but you know, I know you also now teach confidence classes and things like that. So, um, resilience is what it all comes back to for you. And, you know, yes, you talk about leadership. Yes. You talk about confidence, but I think, you know, your the trunk of your tree is resilience and yeah. how confidence stems from that and how leadership can stem from that or et cetera, et cetera, those kind of things. Um, so I'm wondering how do you define resilience? Yeah. So let me, I want to say this first, because I like to make sure this is clear. Um, Cause I, and I like, cause, cause people resilience comes down to also not, not making excuses. Right. And, and a lot of people can use this as an excuse. And this is why I want to talk about it is that they don't have the support system. Cause you talked about this support system that I had around me and that not everybody has this support system. So I, I want to, because there are many times in my life where I felt like I didn't have the support mm. that I needed, that I needed. And people on the outside looking in, people thought I had this amazing support that I actually did not have. I'm grateful for the support that I did have, but there was a lot of support that I didn't have. And then I also like to talk to young people or people, period, about support and recognizing what is the support around them and why I had the support I, I did have and for them to see what support do they have. So, for example, especially with the, the school for teen moms where um, not especially, but including school for teen moms where I've been a mentor for over a decade. And, you know, a lot of them have some really tough family situations, um, really challenging family situations. And mine was better for lack of a better word it was mine was better however what i like to explain to them is they have the support of the school so they can bring their children to school so they don't have to look for a babysitter they do sometimes have challenges getting to school which i get that and i had that but then they have their their children they can bring them there they have child care but then all of and i'm and i'm even dealing with a situation right now with one of my mentees right um, a lot of times people have support that they don't appreciate and they don't recognize. Mm. And a lot of our young people have support that they even push away because they are maybe not saying the things that they want to hear. 
Mm -hmm. Um, And so the support, I believe, is always there. No matter who you are, what your situation is, the support is there. It may not be from the person you think it should be, you know, it may not look exactly like you think it should look. Um, But it's your job to recognize where it is and to be somebody that's easy to support. Um, Because, uh, again, and you probably know of examples like this, too, where I want to support you. I'm doing I would love to support you. But guess what? You aren't doing your part. (laughs) If you aren't doing your part, then it's hard for somebody to support you. And I think that I was able to build the support system and get the support that I did get because I was working my ass off. I was doing a lot of work myself, not sitting around saying, hey, help me, help me, help me. I was doing what I needed to do. And so that's our responsibility is to 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 put to put in the work and then to recognize where the support is. And so back to your question about resiliency, like, I mean, the short answer is the book definition essentially is the ability to bounce back from challenging from challenging times um, because. And that's true. I don't care who we are. And that's why I like, you know, my brand. So what is saying? So what when life is tough and life is unfair or 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 you mess up, you make bad choices. Um, But how can you bounce back from that? And um, so that's my definite definition of resilience is understanding when I could have done something different. And I didn't, but I can get I can make another decision going forward or this really messed up thing. Unfair thing happened in my life. But how do I move forward? How do I do something different? How do I still create success out of it? And for me, too, the most fun thing is, is taking that very thing, that very hard thing, that unfair thing, that bad thing or that mistake and using that thing in and of itself to create something beautiful from it. And um, and not just beautiful, but beautiful because it's helping you. And more importantly, it's helping other people. Mm-hmm. And so that has been my resilience journey. My resilience life is like, hey, I get it. That's, you know, and I, when people say stuff to me and messed up things that happen to them, I say, so what? And sometimes it's hard to hear, you know. Um, because sometimes we want people to say, oh, that's so terrible. I feel sorry for you. And I can say that. But then the next thing I'm going to say is, "Okay, so what now? What are we going to do now? What are we going to do? How are we going to move forward from that? Because or we or we can sit in this or we can sit in this and we can cry and we can just, you know, hug each other and hold each other all day and next week and next year. And and guess what? We're going to still be sitting here hugging each other, crying the next year and the next year, or we can allow ourselves some time to grieve that thing. And then like, okay, how are we moving forward from it? And so that's what resilience is for me is just recognizing um, how do you move forward and focusing more on the solution than the problem, acknowledging the problem, but focusing on the solution. Mm. Acknowledging the problem, but focusing on the solution. I like that, <clears throat> Summer. I like that. And, and I really appreciate you pushing back on what I said because I don't have your experience, right? So I'm glad that you talked to me and, and clarify what I said about uh, about the what support looks like, um, what your support looked like uh, in particular. So I, I appreciate you uh, clarifying. That was important, and I'm really glad that you did that. No, uh, I appreciate that, James. I just And I had to do that simply because – 
like I said, I think a lot of people don't move forward, are not able to move forward. It's like, well, I didn't have the support she had, <laughs> you know, yeah. or comparing themselves to any other situation. Right. It's not just about teen pregnancy. It's just period. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't have the support. So, well, I can't do what she did. And I'm like, no, we got to look at it differently. Yeah. We all have different different support and everything is about perception, too. Right. So for people to even perceive their own lives and their own situations in a different way so that they can move forward. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it goes back to reminding it reminds me of a piece of your story that you told us earlier where, you know, you you know, you were you had just mentioned that the support isn't necessarily always going to come from exactly where you want it to come from. And that doesn't mean it's not around. And I bet, you know, that volunteer coordinator that you were telling me about that your mom like you didn't expect her to show up for you on a monthly basis, on, a, on an annual basis. Right. And, you know, it's funny sometimes when when someone like that shows up, we almost write them off where it's like, ah, you just feel bad for me. So you sent me a car. But it was that commitment. You know, I define commitment as patience plus persistence. Um, and that's really what this woman was for you. Right. Mm-hmm. She was persistent in that every month you go and catch one of these cards. Right. <clears throat> um, but she was also patient. She wasn't necessarily coming in and trying to do everything um, for you. And it was, yeah. a, it was a beautiful commitment uh, to being a support system for you that she displayed. Um, and uh, I think there is so often in our lives, we don't, acknowledge our cheerleaders because our cheerleaders aren't the exact people that we wanted them to be. Um, and you know, I mean, I thought about this a long time when I was, when I was young, even, and just how this applies to a whole bunch of different areas of our life. There were, there were moments when I was younger where I really wanted to date people. And, and I was like, I just want to make out with somebody, right? Like I was young, young kid, you know what I'm saying? But I I didn't really have any game back in the day. My smoothness came too late. Um, but, uh, but still right on time. Uh, Yeah, I guess so. Maybe, uh, it did. Cause I landed uh, the woman of my dream. So we good, but, but still, uh, um, but still it is, uh, <laughs> it is, you know, but I still can remember younger just being like, nobody likes me. No one ever thinks I'm attractive. No one this. And it's not, mm-hmm. it wasn't that no one did. It was just that the few people that I really wanted to see me didn't, yep. but there were other people that I never let them, I never acknowledged them. And therefore also never allowed myself to feel attractive because mm-hmm. it was this one person di- didn't find me attractive. So therefore I wasn't attractive. Right. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. similar to what you're saying where it's like, well, I'm not getting support from this one person. So therefore bang, bang, I'm, not you know, mm-hmm. I'm not getting support. Uh, <clears throat> so mm-hmm. I think that was a really instrumental thing that you shared there. Uh, and yeah, that was, that was beautiful. And you know, Something else that you touched on with that that I'm glad you brought up. I knew I knew we would get here, and I'm excited that we are there. Is that you have this mantra of "so what," uh, and I'm, I'm gonna have you tell people what "so what" means. And but initially, when you hear "okay, I'm a resiliency speaker," and I tell people "so what." It sounds a little cold, right? (laughs) But I love how the way you just described it, it's not that there's an absence of empathy. There isn't an absence of listening. There isn't an absence of dealing with grief. It's just that at some point in time, we have to get to a place where we acknowledge the problem, but work towards the solution. Like you said, I I, I mixed up your words a little bit there. No, Um, you got it. And so uh, it is, uh, tell us a little bit about what so what means. Yeah, I'll tell you how I got there first. Uh, Like, uh, (laughs) so again, I never had any desire to be a speaker. 
or an entrepreneur at all. But after I wrote the book and people started reading it, people started asking me to speak. And so then I started um, sneaking out on my lunch (laughs) at work and I was gone like two hours, three hours at a school. Um, And then after work, people would ask me to speak. So I started doing it. And I'm like, what is this? Maybe this is a business or a brand. And, you know, <laughs> I live, I've, I'm a marketer. I've uh-huh. all my career has been in marketing. And so I'm like, what, what, what is this? And I never will forget. I went to sleep one night and I woke up in the middle of the night and all I could hear was, so what? So what? So what? And I'm like, now I'm a big fan of Oprah. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. I'm a big Oprah fan. I even had a chance to go to Harpo Studios when I did Oprah's cool. favorite things. When I uh, when I worked at FedEx, FedEx does you know the delivery for Oprah's favorite things. I don't know if you remember Oprah's favorite things, um, but I had a chance to work with Adam Glassman, who was um, the editor of O Magazine, and then I went to Harpo Studios in Chicago, and so I got to do a, a lot with that, which was really, really cool. Everything except meet her, because she wasn't there that day. Uh, but uh, <laughs> All right, rude. <laughs> uh, but you know how it was Harpo Studios, which is her name backwards, right? Mm-hmm. And so I loved how she did that. And so when I woke up with So What in my mind, it was like, everything that I'm doing is so personal to me. I was like, my name is in it, the SO. Yeah. Um, but it was thinking back to all the times people had said things to me about what they wanted to do and why they couldn't, or you know, all this self-pity and feeling sorry for themselves. And and, I, and that's what I would say in my mind, and not always to them, but I would kind of say it to them, even if not in those words, it's like, like okay, like I'm tired of hearing all the reasons why you can't, like, so what, you know, your dad wasn't there or so what, your parents are on drugs or so what, you aren't rich or so what, you don't have the name brand clothes or so so what, like, how are you you going to do it if this is what you want to do? And so that's why the little words in there, so now what? So it's the big so what, like the first thing you kind of got to get jolted in your spirit is, so what, like, stop talking about that thing and focus more on how you're going to get past it so that's how so what came to be and then that's what it means is you know it doesn't mean you don't care it simply means you care more about the solution than you do the problem Mm -hmm. and um and just saying so what is uh taking away the power from the the problem from the challenge from the trauma even is you know, it's taking away that power and putting the power back in your hands to do something about it. And that's one thing that uh, James, <laughs> a big pet peeve of mine is helplessness. Mm-hmm. And, and in the research of what I've been doing since I've started speaking, um, learned the term learned helplessness. And uh, so what combats that? So le- learned helplessness is just a feeling and a thought in your mind that you can't do anything about the situation. Yeah. Like all these things happen in your life or you're in this particular situation. It's like nothing you can do about it. And the reality is in most situations in our life, we can do something about it. If you don't like it, uh, you can probably do something, whether that's getting counseling or it's actually taking a step like go to school or, you know, whatever. In any situation, I feel like in almost every situation, there's something you can do about it. Um, but it starts with first saying so what? Yeah. So what? Stop feeling sorry for yourself. So what? 
So you like because yeah. I bet you you can pity somebody into a grave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and 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 uh, and I think we know people that are in that cycle, right? That we know people that are in that cycle of you know just feeling bad for themselves or focus way more on the problem and uh, the things that they can't control around it as opposed to the things they can control, right? Because I can list a whole bunch of things that I can't control and I can get real frustrated about them. But at the end of the day, I'm still not going to be able to do anything about them. So what focusing on what we can control uh, is is also important. And and it takes it takes a minute to, to differentiate between those two, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it's not just something that we immediately that we immediately jump into. Well, you know, I'm glad you even said that because, um, again, I told you I'm a woman of faith and this isn't, this actually comes from Alcoholics Anonymous. It's a serenity prayer. And, but for me, it's a faith thing too, is, you know, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I can't change. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's first saying, so what? My mom, so you know, I like to give the example of my. I didn't know my father because so many young people I work with, that's their that's their sad reality, Mm -hmm. or I didn't have my father in my life. So what? Serenity prayer equivalent, accept it. Can't change it, right? But continue with the serenity prayer. But the courage to change the things I can. That's the so now what? Do something about it. If you can do something about it, then do something about it. And then the last part is the wisdom to know the difference, which is what you said. Sometimes it's hard to differentiate. But in most cases, there is something you can do about it. So in the fact that you don't know your father, that's the so what? The so now what is now you can embrace the people, the men maybe who are trying to be a father figure to you. Mm. Or now you can, when you have the opportunity like James now to be a father, you can say, I'm going to be the best father that I can be. Mm -hmm. So there are still things that you can do in almost any situation Um, instead of feeling sorry for yourself and wallowing in the in the the pity or even accepting all the pity from other people. Just like, okay, whatever, no matter how bad the situation is, it's probably something you can do. And again, that something might just be talking to somebody or getting counseling or getting advice. And in the situation where you just said it's hard to know the difference, then maybe you don't rely on your own mind. Maybe you talk to somebody else to help for them to help you understand the difference. What do you think about this situation is what do you think I could do? Or what would you do in this situation? Mm-hmm. And then it's like, Oh, okay. That's something I can do. <laughs> <laughs> novel uh yeah 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 all of us are in this get in that situation i mean even me sometimes i i can get in a situation where i'm feeling sorry for myself i'm feeling bad and i'm feeling like there's nothing i can do but then i have to you know eat my own medicine (laughs) Mm -hmm. take my own medicine and like okay yes i can do something about this and I'm not a, you know, I, I believe we do have to grieve and feel bad. And cause I'm not that person who's just like, suck it up, suck it up. I'm not that person. Well, I am that person, but um, <laughs> after, after you accept it and grieve and understand, you know, feel the hurt, feel it, yeah. feel it, mm-hmm. you need to feel it. But the problem comes with us when we feel it too long and we, we decide to live there. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I agree with you. I agree with you. That was, uh, 
you know, right here at the end, Summer Owen that he had taken us to church, literally, <laughs> literally, uh, and I love it. <laughs> that was, I mean, that was so that was so well said, and uh, and I'm I'm grateful for the way that you put that. I'm also uh, appreciative of the action oriented nature of what you're going through, but also the fact that empathy isn't absent from it, um, right? Like you are you're allowed to feel sad for yourself a little bit. You're allowed to be upset that, uh, and you're allowed to, uh, dwell for a minute. Uh, but at some point in time, you got to keep it pushing. Uh, right. There is life to be lived. There are more years ahead of us. There are days, hours, minutes that we can capitalize on. And, uh, so how are we going to keep it pushing? You know, how are we going to take the power back? Like you said earlier, how are we going to grab the pen to our own story and and write what we want to write? Uh, and uh, I love that summer. Uh, thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us, talking to us about your story of of, of beautiful resilience um, and uh, of triumph, uh, but not not without its stories in the middle there, and not without its slips and its struggles, uh, for sure. I, I appreciate you a lot, Summer. I learned a lot from you today and with you. Thank you, James. It was such a pleasure. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for having me in the diner. <laughs> Summer, let people know, how can they stay in touch with you? Uh, the best way is to go to my website, which is summerowens.com. My name, summerowens.com. And all my social media links are there. I love YouTube. I have lots of videos on YouTube. Again, I focus on resilience and leadership where I have messages there. My So What Success Stories, the interviews that I do with people. But I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, and you know what? I'm even trying to dabble in TikTok. Oh, look out. <laughs> but go to my website and you can connect with me everywhere there. SummerOwens.com. Summer, thank you so much for kicking it in the diner with me, friend. It's so great spending this time with you. My pleasure. Thanks so much, James. Good catching up with you. Great catching up with you. Y'all, that was my time with the one and only Summer Owens. Wow, what a story, my friends. What a story. And I just love hearing her talk about resilience in that way because a lot of us just get stuck and stay stuck. But at some point in time, it is a choice to stay stuck. And we have to recognize that. You know, I'm someone who doesn't always recognize when those who love me are trying to love me because I'm trying, I'm more interested in this one person loving me or this other person helping me. Now, or I think it just needs the way I'm going to get out of this mess is by doing this one thing, but that one thing that keeps getting thwarted. Now, and and instead of seeing the options. Um, and so I love the way that Summer Owens talks about resilience and I love hearing her story too. What a powerful story. Shout out to the Clemson Tigers, the real Tigers. Uh, and uh, now that she can't hear me, I'm allowed to say that. I'm just kidding. Shout out to Memphis Tigers as well. Love them down there. And thank you so much for kicking it with Summer and I today. Until the next time we get to hang out, friends, do me a favor. Keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. You all take care. Y'all, it was so much fun kicking it in the diner with you. And I would say our timing was right about perfect because I just finished the last few drops of my milkshake. <laughs> Listen, y'all, you would do my self-esteem a huge favor. If wherever you listen to podcasts, if you could leave a rating, if you could subscribe, if you could leave a comment, a review, anything like that, that is how we get this podcast into more people's ears. And if you want to stay in touch with the podcast elsewhere, we are Diner Talks with James on Instagram. Pretty original, huh? I agree. Also, if you want to hang out with me, 
Just individually on more places, I am James T. Robo all over the internet. Y'all had a blast with you. I appreciate you. Take care and stay great.